Business people love to use terms that are most times ambiguous when it comes to application. For example, I know that I've been guilty of saying this, but what does it actually mean to manage your manager? As an employee, if you don't have an authoritative title, what does it look like you know, to lead right where you are? Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and I'm so excited to say that this topic that we're going to cover today actually is going to apply to about 80 or 90% of the entire workforce. Today, we're hearing from Clay Scroggins. He's the author of the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, Leveraging Influence When You Lack Authority. The title is exactly why we brought him on here. So here it is, my conversation with Clay Scroggins. I have been in a position of authority where I have not been in charge for really my whole life. Um, and I think, you know, I was probably 30 years old when I started realizing, oh, um, you don't actually have to be in charge in order to lead. And I think I start, I, I, I think I believe the lie, like so many other people believe that if you, uh, if you really want to lead something, then you've got to go be the boss. And so everything between now and me being the boss is just me waiting. Uh, because once you get to be in charge, that's when you really get to lead. And if you're not in charge, you're just kind of waiting, biding your time until you are in charge. And uh, obviously, that's just not true. We know plenty of people who are in charge and are not leading well. And we know plenty of people who are not in charge and are have a bunch of influence. And so I really like the tagline of the book, leveraging influence when you lack authority. That really is what the book is all about. So I work, I'm, pa- I'm a local church pastor. We've got uh, seven churches in the Atlanta area. I'm a, I've been a campus pastor for about 10 years now. I'm leading my third campus now. So I'm really making the tour of all of our campuses. I hope this one's my last one, but um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm pretty ready just to uh, settle down and plant somewhere. Uh, my wife and I, we've got uh, five kids. Um, we really enjoy Atlanta and I really like my job really love our church. And the book has been a real blessing for me because it's given me a chance to talk about leadership uh, and have conversations that I never would have thought I would have been able to have. That that helps. And uh, I want to say uh, my dad was, uh, was a pastor as well, but popping around to different churches, I can sympathize, uh, empathize a little bit with that. Um, but you all are doing something on a, on a different level than, than a lot of uh, pastors do and a, and a lot of congregations get to experience. So the, where this book comes from is directly from your experience, which I'm excited to lean into. Uh, before I go any further, though, I do, I do have to say that while I'm grateful for uh, the practical application that the book provides, um, I'm I'm actually equally as grateful for all the references to like throwback R and B, hip hop, <laughs> pop artists, uh, juvenile Beyonce, Ice Cube, and Sync, Backstreet Boys. To, it was really refreshing. Um, so I do have to say that. Uh, but in the book, you do speak directly and indirectly about two things in particular, but intentions and motivations. So can you talk a little bit about why those things are so important? This all started because I did a talk for our staff um, where somebody had asked me, hey, what are you learning right now in leadership? And I just off the cuff said, I'm trying to learn how to lead a church in 180 seconds. Because as a campus pastor, we're Mm. primarily a video venue. You know, the majority of my job on a Sunday is standing on our stage 
for about three to four minutes. And that's just a really tricky thing to try to figure out how to lead a church when you only have a few minutes. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to learn how to lead, even though I'm not in charge. And so I put this talk together for our staff and uh, it went from a 30 minute leadership talk to trying to put it into a book form. And so as I really tried to pick up the topic and look underneath it and try to go a couple layers deeper than just what I originally was thinking through, you know, you, you, you have to eventually think about motives and intentions. Is it okay for somebody to want to be a leader? I think that's what I really Mm -hmm. have wrestled with in myself that I, um, I sense this ambition in me and I don't even know if it's right or if it's good or if it's okay. And I think that's part of the challenge that people feel when you're not, you know, the the majority of people in the world are not in charge. I mean, there's only a few people that are in charge of a company and even those who are in charge really don't feel like they're in charge. But most of us are in roles like you're in or in roles like I'm in where we're kind of, you know, smack dab in the middle of middle management. And most people in that zone, I've realized, have desires for uh, broader influence or more influence. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes looks like being in charge, but I don't I, I, I was really struggling with, is that even okay for me to want that? And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's additionally challenging in the Christian world. You know, if you're a pastor, if you're a, uh, or, or even a follower of Jesus working in a secular organization, it, uh, selfish ambition has been talked about so much by pastors. And it's also written about a lot in a couple of Paul's letters in the New Testament, that it's just not selfish ambition is really called out as a sin. But what about just godly ambition? Is there anything, you know, is there anything redeeming um, or redemptive about ambition to want to lead more? And I just know for me, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to lead. I mean, I safety patrol in the fifth grade, uh, captain of my baseball team in high school, even though I didn't play that much. I was a class officer. I was our senior class president in my high school. I just always wanted to lead something. Uh, and I basically what I've realized is there is a healthy ambition and there is an unhealthy ambition. And, you know, the, probably the best work that I've read recently on this is Patrick Lencioni's new book called The Motive, um, where he really tackles this topic really simply, but very eloquently. And he just, you know, he writes in fables. And so this new fable that he's written is essentially about a guy who is leading something, but he's, he's leading it and sees it as that leadership is a reward as opposed to leadership being a responsibility, which I think is a really great distinction. So, yeah, I think if you, you know, I think there is a healthy sense of ambition. If you come at it from a sense of responsibility that I I don't want to lead more because I want the perks of leadership. I want to lead more because I want to exercise the gifts that I've been given to be able to help others uh, either in a greater way or maybe in a more profound mm-hmm. way. So, um, yeah, I think I think intention, motive, ambition is a really interesting topic in regard to leadership. What does it look like to have healthy ambition or positive ambition um, when you're not the one that has the title? Like, what have you experienced? What did you learn? How did you tackle that when, when you, um, when you don't, yeah, when you don't have the authority to, you know, make a bunch of changes. Yeah. I think it's, I think it just calls for a lot of self introspection, which is really what the second book, I wrote a follow-up book to this called how to lead in a world of distraction, which is not so much about putting down your phone, 
or saying no to uh, constant noise in the world, but it's really about paying attention to the noise that we all turn up that distracts us from dealing with what's really going on inside of us. So I think anybody that senses a lot of ambition in yourself, I think just asking the question why, I think is a really healthy place to start. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you, why do you want more authority? Why do you want to be in charge? Why do you want more power? Um, is it for your own good or is it for the good of others? And that's a really difficult thing. That's a, that's a difficult task to try to dig inside and figure that out. I mean, I've got a couple of guys that I've been in a group with for about 12, 13, 14 years. We've met uh, weekly or biweekly. And those are the, those are the guys that I process this with. I mean, every job change I've ever had, those are the guys that I've talked to uh, in depth about it because they know me really well. They can ask some of the difficult questions. They can ask the questions like, Hey, why, why are you saying yes to this? Why are you, you know, is it really worth traveling to go do that event or does it just make you feel good? I think, I think dealing with those questions in community with other people, I think it's the best way to handle the topic of ambition. That's good. That's good. The accountability piece and bouncing it off of uh, folks that are close enough, you know, to, to um, maybe smack you around a little bit with <laughs> holding up a mirror and saying, <laughs> you're going yeah. off the rails here a little bit, which is, which is helpful. It's really helpful. Um, so, so obviously this, this is a discussion about leadership and leading well. Um, this might be a softball question, but it also can be kind of like an anchor on the table sort of a thing. But I'm, I'm interested to hear, what, what, so what are some popular misconceptions regarding the concept of leadership that you've picked up on that you've learned about over the years? Well, the, the one that's impacted me most is what this the, is really the core of this book, that you've got to be in charge in order to lead. Um, I've learned... I mean, it, I, I feel like, well, you know, so you, you write a book like this, or this is the way my journey has been. And then you start seeing it everywhere in the world. You start realizing, oh, uh, mm -hmm. this is not something that you ever get away from. And it's interesting. I'm four years, probably four years removed from turning this manuscript in. And the book has, the concept of the book has never been more true than it is in my job today. Uh, I did a doctorate a couple of years ago and wrote my dissertation on the topic of online church. And so I'm really interested in it. And I have been for a long time interested in what would it look like for the church to really uh, double down on the opportunity that the internet gives us to be able to help people grow spiritually. Is it really possible for somebody to click on a sermon and to go from that click all the way through, you know, real similar to probably the kinds of funnels that you guys work with on a daily basis? Would it, is it really possible for somebody to click on something mm -hmm. And, and get into a flow or a journey or a pathway that's frictionless, that really leads them toward getting into community. Um, I believe it is, but uh, and I believe that the building is a part of that, but I don't think the building is 100% uh, essential for that journey. But there's a lot of people that I work with that they don't see it that way. In fact, most of my bosses don't see it that way. They don't, they see the building as crucial. And, you know, to their credit, they've raised millions and millions of dollars to build these buildings. And then here I come along trying to tell people that you don't really need the building to be able to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And it can be a real, sure. I can be a real thorn in their, their side for sure. And so I've got to learn how to do that really delicately and kindly and compassionately and strategically and take the right approach. But I am learning how to lead now, even though I still don't have all the authority that I've sometimes think that I need to be able to get done what I want to get done as far as changing the way we measure 
as far as really realigning our strategy to uh, meet people where they are, there's just some some things that I'm still trying to figure out how to change my the mind of my bosses uh, and learning that you don't have to be in charge in order to get that done. You really can create an oasis of excellence right where you are. And you also can figure out how to challenge up in an appropriate way that can lead to change. So those are the things that I'm still trying to do. And that, that is right where I was wanting, wanting to go. So if we could, if we could just park there just for a, a minute or two, uh, that oasis of excellence, that phrase that you just said, and then um, uh, I think you said coaching up. So jumping into that, what are some, some ways that people can, um, can lead that aren't in charge, that don't consider themselves to be the folks that are in charge? Every single person is in charge of something, though none of us are in charge of everything. Uh, but we all have something that we are in charge of. And so you got to start with what's the most primary responsibility you have as a leader. That's to lead that organism, that mechanism that you're sitting in right now, that body that you have. So how are you leading what you've been given? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you challenging your mind? Are you creating an oasis of excellence right there in and of yourself? You know, it's it's interesting how dangerous a leader is that lacks self-control, uh, mm. that doesn't have the ability to regulate their own emotions, to regulate their own behavior. So I think that's where you have to start is, can I create an oasis of excellence with this, this body, this person that I've been given? Uh, what I believe is really true with leadership is that if you can show that you're trustworthy and leading yourself, then you'll be given more opportunity to lead other things. Uh, this is a quote from Jesus. He said, hey, he who is faithful with a little will be trusted with a lot. And that simple concept, I think, is more profound than we even give it credit that if an oasis of excellence is basically, hey, you know, if I were to take an org chart, I've done this with hundreds of people. If I were to say, hey, I want you to, you know, you got the people above you, you have the people beside you and have the people below you. I want you to circle the source of the majority of your challenges and frustrations at work today. Probably 70% of people circle their boss or bosses. Another 20% of people circle the people next to them, to the left and to the right. You know, I'm in sales. If I could only get the product development team to be a little more creative with what they're creating, right. it would give me something better to sell. You know, whereas the product development team is frustrated at the sales team because they're making promises that they can't deliver on. So that's a constant challenge between your peers and then less than 10% of people circle the people below them. You know, hardly ever are the volunteers that I lead or the staff that I lead my source of frustrations and challenges because I feel like that's where I have the most control. And if I could decide, all right, well, I can't control my boss. I can't control my peers, but I do have an opportunity to influence them. But what I have the, my greatest opportunity to influence is the what I'm most in charge of. And that primarily is myself. And then secondly, the area that I am in charge of, the area that I lead. And it might just be a few volunteers or it might just be a small little team, but you got to make a decision that I'm going to create an oasis of excellence right there with what I'm leading. So mm -hmm. I really think about it with our campus. You know, I've just decided, hey, uh, if I want it to be so for our whole organization, I've got to prove that it can happen at our campus. I've got to prove that it can actually work and I've got to create an oasis of excellence with what I've been given to lead. I think that's the place where we've all got to start is am I creating something with what I have most control over? Am I creating something that's worth replicating? Am I creating something that would be worth passing on to other, uh, to other people? That's good. So 
uh, as you're as you're talking, I, I'm I know that this next question is uh, not going to have a perfect delivery, so forgive that. But I want to I want to ask, what is then what's sacrificed or lost when people who aren't in charge just give into or stick to a posture of you know, kind of shrugging it off and, well, there's nothing really that I can do about it. Like what, what's lost in the organization then? You know, the urge to make things better, the desire to innovate, the employee engagement, employees all of a sudden take that discretionary time that they have and they use it on Facebook or um, they quit dreaming, they quit believing that the world really can be better. I mean, ultimately hope is lost and hope is a powerful virtue because that, 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 thing in me that says, hey, it's good now, but it can be better. That's a powerful force that humans have. And when that dies, uh, we we shut so much down inside of us. And we've all been there before because we've got, you know, a boss that we feel like has, you know, has basically resigned, but hasn't resigned. Or you've got a boss that you feel like micromanages and uh, is just going to, whatever you end up doing is going to say, hey, well, why don't you just move out of the way and let me finish it who's going to change everything you end up doing. So there's so many reasons why we shut down that desire in us for growth and for progress and for change. But you're absolutely right, Steve. It's really dangerous for us to do that. um, For us to throw our hands up and go, well, I'm just going to uh, treat this like a job and I'm going to get the job done. It's going to be good enough. And then I'm going to check out. And I'm going to give my talents and my heart and my passion to uh, somewhere else where I feel like I can't yeah. actually make a difference. Now that I th- now that I think about it, your this book wouldn't have been written, I don't think, if if you would have just kind of shrugged it off. Because I uh, what I understand about the background at the time, you were writing it from a place of what you said before that it came out of a talk and then it turned into. Uh, from a 30 minute talk to putting into a manuscript. So it had you just kind of been resolved to, well, I'll just wait till my, my time comes, uh, the book wouldn't have been written. So, um, that's a practical thing that I wasn't anticipating bringing up, but, yeah. uh, what are some, what are, what are some practical, uh, speaking of practicality, but some guardrails, uh, that keep that help to keep those that lack authority right now, on the right path. So some, some guardrails on either side of the path of not necessarily being in charge. What are those, what are some things, some practical things that we should be on the lookout for so that we don't you know, step into the ditch on either side of this thing? I'm going to give you just these four habits or behaviors that the book is really, um, this is the core of the book. But I, I basically decided on that day when I realized, oh, I'm believing a lie. I'm believing that I've got to be in charge in order to lead. And that's just not true. And once I stepped back and realized, oh, I can actually lead from where I am right now, um, I started writing down, okay, well, what am I doing to cultivate influence? If I, if I can have influence from the seat that I'm in right now, what, what am I doing to cultivate more influence? And what am I doing that's costing me influence? And so if listeners don't get anything else out of this other than that, that would be a worthwhile question is, what are you doing that's cultivating influence? And what are you doing that's costing you influence? Because you have some kind of behavior or habit or way of seeing things or a way of uh, working that is either cultivating you or costing you influence. So for me, it were, uh, I wrote down these four behaviors that I still have sitting near me at all times. And now it's locked into my memory. But the first one is to lead myself. I've got to lead me really well. The second one is to choose positivity. 
I've got to decide that, hey, my attitude is the greatest, uh, is my greatest offering more than my energy, my talent, my, uh, my education or my experience, but my, the, um, the attitude I'm bringing to my job every day has the most power to influence the people around me. And it ultimately has the most power to give me more influence or not. And then thirdly, am I thinking critically? Am I bringing, am I making something better? Am I bringing change in some way that's going to solve a problem or fix something or make something better uh, on my team or in my department or for the organization I work for? And then lastly, am I rejecting passivity? The greatest challenge with not being in charge is that you uh, do just what you said earlier. You kind of throw your hands up and go, well, I'm just going to be passive because the boss is going to change it or because it doesn't really matter or nobody listens to my voice. And uh, passivity is uh, cancer in leadership. And so if you can decide I'm going to reject it and I'm going to find a closet to clean out or I'm going to find a problem to try to work on, even if it's something nobody else wants to work on or even if it's something that ends up getting changed, the last thing I'm going to do is sit here and be passive. Uh, if you can choose to reject passivity, those four habits or behaviors are really the, uh, for me, they're the hallmarks of someone who's trying to lead when you're not in charge. That's fantastic. So, and it might be the same, the same habits that you want to go to, but I, I want to move the camera a little bit from the character who doesn't have the title yeah. to, uh, to the, to the person that does. So what advice do you have for people that are in charge? What should, you know, we be cognizant of those of us with titles? Yeah, this is the thing that really flipped in me that I didn't see coming in this book was, you know, a lot of times we think, okay, well, I'm not in charge. Uh, I can't just resign and go to work and be passive. I've got to go find a problem to help fix. I'm going to try to have a good attitude about it. I'm going to try to lead myself well. And then one day I'm going to get to be in charge and I'm going to really experience all the glory of authority. Uh, but the more C the more CEOs, the more point leaders that I've spoken with, um, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You don't, if you neglect all of those habits, when you're not in charge, you don't just all of a sudden get it when you're in charge. And the, the greatest leaders that we like following the people that we choose to follow that we want to follow are leaders that they lead out of influence. Anyway, they don't leverage their position to get us to move, they leverage relationship and they leverage influence. And that's ultimately uh, what, what's interesting to me is that the same thing that we've got to learn how to do when we're not in charge really is the thing that we have to do when we're in charge. Uh, because if we're leading from a place of authority, that really is the lowest level of leadership possible. So the, I have a simple little illustration that I use, but when I was, uh, I was 21, I was uh, in college getting toward the end of my curriculum and I was kind of interested in political science. And so I found out about this internship at the state capitol and I got the job working in the governor's office and I worked on the governor's policy team and my desk sat right outside of the uh, conference room where they made a lot of policy. So they were always having big, tense conversations around education or transportation or some sort of budget issue. And I remember this one particular day where this governor, the governor had only been elected for about six months, brand new governor in the state of Georgia. And I could hear that there were voices getting louder. There was a lot of disagreement. And I heard the table banging, just bah, bah, bah. And this voice boomed over all the other ones and said, I am the governor of the state of Georgia. Listen to me. 
And I remember thinking at the time, and I'm 21 years old. I probably, if I, if you had, you know, if you told me to give you a definition for leadership, I don't even know what I would have said. I'd never been to a leadership conference, never read a leadership book at that point in my life. But I remember thinking, oh no, something's broken. Oh no, mm. th that's not leadership. Because if you, I call it the gun of authority. If you've got to pull out the gun of authority and wave it around and tell people, hey, I'm in charge and you're going to do what I tell you to do, uh, that will work for a couple of days, but that is not going to work for long. Um, we, you know, I think about office space when the boss walks around, you know, hey, you filled out those TPS reports, you're going to need to do that before the day's over. You know, we'll fill out the forms, we'll fill out the reports in the short term, but long term, if we don't see the value of it, if we haven't been led with vision, if the boss doesn't have a relationship with us that we really feel good about, we're not going to stick around because we just don't, we don't want to follow people that leverage their authority. We want to follow people that are cultivating influence, even when they are the boss. And so here's the great news. If you can learn how to do it when you're not in charge, it'll make you an even better boss and even better leader when you are in charge. And so that's why I think this is so important for every single one of us. Is if we can learn how to lead without authority, when we get that authority that we're looking for, it's actually going to make us a better leader. We're going to, we're going to really be the leader that we want to follow. We're going to be the leader worth following. Fantastic and encouraging. And another reference that uh, is near and dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> what do you want to leave us with, Clay? You know, where do we go from here? Because there's been a ton of yeah. content that you've thrown at us. There's a ton more in the book we didn't even touch on. Uh, where, where do you want to go from here? What do you want to leave us with? Yeah, I would just say to anybody who's listening to this that feels like you're in a position where you feel stuck or you feel invisible or you feel like you're wasting your time. Um, you know, the great news about the way life works is you're never, you're never really wasting your time. Every moment is an opportunity to learn something. Um, if, if, if for no other reason, what you have to learn right now is that you're, you're learning what kind of boss you don't want to be, or you're learning what kind of organization you don't want to create or don't want to work for. Um, what you're doing right now matters intensely. It matters deeply because you're learning how to lead when you don't have authority. And if you can learn how to cultivate influence when you're not in charge, it's just going to make you that much better of a leader. So I would just say if you're, if you're in a position where you feel stuck or you feel like you're wasting your time, uh, I'm telling you, you're not. Today really matters. What you're doing right now as a leader really matters. And uh, I hope that you'll leverage today and make today uh, count because it really, it matters deeply. That's a perfect place to end. Thank you so much, Clay, for the time, for the laughs, and, and for the genuine insights from uh, your own experience. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Okay, so takeaway and action item. I have two for each. Surprise, surprise. Takeaways. First of all, you don't have to be in charge in order to lead. Second thing, every person is in charge of something, and no one is in charge of everything. Action items. First of all, Ask why you want to lead if you do want to lead and maybe utilize trusted people who will give you straight feedback on your motives. Second thing, start with what you do have in your charge, even if it's your own self-control. Lead yourself first right now, then others. If you want more content, we have dozens of other episodes for you. All you have to do is go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast You'll have access to conversations spanning things like servant leadership, the imposter syndrome, and even what it's like to play in the Super Bowl. And if you're listening on your phone, 
I would ask that you please click subscribe and share this episode with a friend and consider giving us a five-star review. We appreciate it big time. And as always, from everyone here at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.